Um, scattered throughout John, the eyewitnesses' account of the life of Jesus are these moments where Jesus describes super significant things about himself in these kinds of metaphors called the I am statements, um, if metaphor is even the right word for them. Um, this week, we're going to continue that trend by looking at another one of Jesus' I am statements. Um, Jesus says, I am the true vine. This time it comes with no less significant a combination of both warnings and promises. So let's quickly set the scene before we read what Jesus has to say to us. On the night when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he ate a final meal with his disciples. Uh, And during the course of this extended meal in the upper room, he took the opportunity to teach them and to prepare his disciples for what the life of worship would look like after they were physically separated for Jesus. For the first time since they had met him, the apostles were about to experience the kind of life of worship that you and I live in every day. Um, a, A life of being connected to Jesus by some means other than his being physically here in the room with us. Uh, in John chapter 14, um, in, in John's gospel in general, we, we, we get the most complete version of what it is that he had to say to them out of any of the gospel accounts in the Bible. If you read the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, 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 the upper room discourse is, is, is shorter and simpler, but John, who was there, fills in some of the blanks that the other gospel writers left blank. In chapter 14, Jesus promises the disciples that soon he will send the Holy Spirit to live within them after he goes, which is even better than his physical presence. That's an outrageous promise again. Um, To have the Holy Spirit is to have Jesus with you. Our God is Trinity. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And he has kept that promise. And then having told them that, he drops this gem, which we will focus on today, beginning in verse 15.1. Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the vindresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. There you go, we have a context. Jesus is speaking with his disciples, those who are already clean, according to him. This illustration of the vine and the branches is is aimed specifically at believers. That's important for us to understand. And then we have the metaphor. Jesus says, I am the vine. In this picture, Jesus is the source of life from which all the branches spring forth 
and draw their sustenance. That's what a vine is to the branches. God the Father in this picture is the vine dresser. His role is to tend the vine, keeping the growth healthy, pruning the healthy branches. Um, sorry, um, yeah, pruning the healthy branches and, and removing the unhealthy ones. And in this picture, you and I, we are the branches. The branches are dependent. They need the vine for life. They wilt and die without the vine and fail to produce fruit. And they need the care of the vine dresser in order to remain healthy. And then we have a conclusion. Because all of these things are true, Jesus tells us, remain in me. Why don't we zoom in on each of those details in turn and see what it is that we can be encouraged by. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the vine. This is what he said. I am the true vine. Think of a grapevine with me. That's that's certainly what he has in mind, right? Which, Which part of the plant is the most important? The vine. From root to tip, it is, the, it is really the plant itself is the vine. The whole existence of the branches, the whole existence of the fruit, of the, the grapes that are growing on the vine, consist in coming out from the vine while remaining connected to it to draw nourishment and life. This is what a vine is. Without the vine itself, you don't have a plant, you have a salad bowl. Likewise, we need to see Jesus is the true source of every good thing in our lives. Do you remember the first great sin of Adam and Eve followed after the lie of Satan? This is what he had to say to them. The serpent said to the woman in Genesis 3, 4, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. But the serpent, the serpent was, was lying. We will surely die if we branches remove ourselves from the vine. It was untrue. And they did. We cannot be like God in his godness. Do you understand? We, we um, resemble his image in so many ways, but not in this one. Jesus and Jesus alone is the true vine. We need him. We need God in order to live. That's, that, that, when I say live, I mean exist He is the source of existence, but more so than that, we need the life of the vine in order to live the life of faith that Jesus has come to deliver us into, the eternal life that comes through the bread of life. No wonder Jesus is the bread that satisfies and gives eternal life. He is the vine. He is the place that life comes from. Life without him is not a life (laughs) worth living by comparison. Our life as Christians then is as those who have been reconnected to the vine. We we have him. We, We have been grafted into the nourishing life of the vine, and it is there that we find sustenance and life and health and fruitfulness. Christians, has this been your experience? That having having met Jesus, having placed your faith in him as Savior, having been filled with his Holy Spirit, he is now the source of all your what you would call true life. Everything that came before pales into insignificance compared to what you have now. Not surprising. Jesus is the vine. 
the next part of this picture, the father is the vindresser. This is what we're told. My father is the vindresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think we have to be careful in understanding what this part of the illustration means. The question I had as I was reading it is, how explicitly definitive is Jesus trying to be here about the Trinity? I don't know. But I suspect if we push this illustration too far in, in, in the wrong direction, we can create some, some flawed understanding of what he was saying. For example, surely we could say, surely we could say that the Father is the vine also, couldn't we? I think we, we wouldn't be breaking any theological shackles to say that. But for the purposes of this illustration, he is, he is playing a different role. He is the vindresser, the gardener who tends to the vine. He has two tasks described in this capacity. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. This is the great warning in our passage, brothers and sisters. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Later on, it said more explicitly, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. When we read this, we need to understand that the problem of hell is very real. And it is the destination of all branches who remain fruitless due to their being disconnected from the vine. Like a farmer breaks off and collects all the withered, unhealthy branches and burns them as refuse, like the gardener takes away all of the unhealthy branches which are drawing life away from the fruit-bearing branches, so the judgment of God is coming for sinful humanity who have, in the footsteps of Adam and Eve, believed the lie about God and tried to turn themselves into the vine. This is, this is the sinful human condition. The judgment is described as furious and eternal, and we don't talk about it enough because it is uncomfortable. God is ultimately the judge who removes the dead branches in his sovereign governance of all things. Be warned. Let this sobering warning have its proper effect in us. Not only is Jesus the vine, we need Jesus to be the vine, lest this would be our destination. And thank God, am I right, that we can have Jesus as our vine who gives life to us and makes it so that this is not our end. Because the Vindresser also carries out another task, which on first reading <laughs> sounds just about equally as unpleasant. Maybe I'm the only one. And yet is meant to be a promise. Those branches, branches which are healthy, those branches which are bearing fruit, what does the Father do to them? He prunes that sounds lovely. You're telling me, have, like, have, you, have, you ever, have you ever pruned a plant? Is there any gardeners in the house? I've got one. Isn't pruning the weirdest thing? Like, I remember learning about it. Like, you're telling me, in order to make this plant healthy, I have to cut it to ribbons, chop off things. And it's true. I remember some, some friends of ours moved into a, a new house a couple of years ago where there was a mango tree in the backyard. This thing was huge. It was sort of... 10 meters high, bigger than the house. I'm not good with numbers. 10 meters might be too tall. I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was a large tree with no fruit. And eventually they paid a, 
I'm going to go with Arborist to come in. And, and they took the chainsaws to this thing. They just trimmed it right back. They only left a few branches intact. And then next year, there were more mangoes than they had the ability to give away. They were going rotten on the ground. This is what pruning does to a tree. Pruning makes sure that all of the life that the branch is, um, is drawing from the plant is put to its proper use. Uh, that, that none of that life being drawn from the soil up through the roots, up through the vine, up through the, the, the plant proper is being misused on, on fruitless, dying, useless growth. And in this picture, <laughs> that's what God does to us. Like a, like a shepherd steering his sheep, a, a vin dresser prunes the plant to encourage healthy growth. The father does this to his children. He prunes us. He disciplines us. At times, do you get, do you get this? God wounds us in order to lead us to health. That, that, that lesson is hardest to learn whilst it's happening. So best, best learn it now before it happens. It is not automatically true that God is being unkind or that you have been forgotten when you experience suffering in this life. At times, the Father will wound us in order to restore our ultimate health and to increase our fruitfulness. What kind of trust is it going to require of us to believe that? What kind of trust is it going to require of us to give someone that kind of unlimited authority in your life? But there is no substitute for it. We need the pruning as much as we need the vine, do you understand? We don't just need the vine, we need the pruning, lest we become an unfruitful branch. Those that bear fruit, he prunes. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear this because we are being pruned by God right now, are we not? Think of all of those points of friction in your life that you would never choose. If, if, if pain was opt-in, who would opt-in? We wouldn't choose it. We, we are in the middle um, of our, as a country's largest spike in this virus that we've ever had and hopefully will ever have. This is possibly as bad as it will ever be. What reaction has that provoked within you? For many of us, anxiety, fear. In, in, in one sense, those, those fears are entirely grounded. How, how many calls or, or emails have I fielded this week from people being like, I'm just not sure how to respond. I'm not feeling comfortable leaving the house. I'm not certain what I should be doing. Some of it is appropriate. Some of it is perfectly rational. Some of it is not. As Christians, those anxieties, those fears should not be given a free head to run rampant into any area of our life where they will. Isn't it frustrating, brothers and sisters, that each time one of these challenges arrives into our life, our first instincts are no different to those of the unbelieving world? Do you find that in yourself? How many times has the Lord provided for us only for me to run straight back to worry the next time I don't know where provision is going to come from. 
our experience of this trial should be, should be different. Because we have a God who is over and above the challenges of today. We see the case numbers climb the same way that everybody else sees the case numbers climb. That is bad. We don't want that. But unlike the believing world, we have faith in a sovereign God. And so our anxiety, our worry, should not be the same as those who do not believe in him. It shouldn't be. And when we find that it is, what we are finding is that the old fruitless branch is still still hanging around like a bad smell, even though we've been connected to the vine. We need pruning. We need tending. There's more growth to happen. He is pruning us. This situation is a testing by which the shallowness of our faith is revealed, is confronted, and is redeemed and turned into fruitfulness. On the other side of this trial, brothers and sisters, you will have a deeper, more stable, more life-giving faith than the one that you had before you entered it. That is what the Father allows into the life of his children, brings into the life of his children. He is pruning us. Because we have God, do you understand, not, not one moment of the last two years has been wasted. Not one moment. He is putting it to his eternal use as Christ-likeness is being formed in you. And believe me, I see it. We are a deeper and more faithful church than the one we were in 2019. We, 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 we feel it in our efforts to spread the good news of Jesus into this world. People are literally walking into this building. I'm looking for answers. Can you tell me about God? In a way that, that was not true in 2019. He's pruning us and it is working. We are being made holy. We would never choose something like this and many of the other sufferings we experience besides. We would never choose it. But what if it's true? That it is in fact God's kindness which has allowed him, which has caused him to allow these things into our lives. Actually, it's, it's said elsewhere in the Bible. Um, how about this one from Hebrews 12.6? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Discipline doesn't sound particularly pleasant to me. And yet, as our Father, the Lord knows that if he is going to love his children, he is going to need to discipline us and to raise us up into fullness of maturity. It takes a lot of trust, doesn't it? But we have reason to trust. Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. And then in the next part of this illustration, we get to you and I finally. We are the branches. This is what Jesus had to say about branches. Verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In verse 8 again. By this is my father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Stop and think for a moment. That's a big claim. By this is my father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Disciples. This talk makes us a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? We'll, we'll get some more of it in, in the next little while. We often have a wrestle as people of grace. If, if, if salvation is by grace alone and not by merit, not by deserving, not by works, we struggle to understand, it is difficult to understand, the right role that works are to play in the life of faith. They must be excluded from the grounds of our justification, right? You are not made right to God and reconciled to him by your good works. And yet we also believe, don't we, that, that, that there is a place for good works in the life of faith, having been reconciled to God by faith alone. Sometimes it's hard to get that balance right. Here we are told that what glorifies the Father is that we bear much fruit, that we become holy, hardworking, diligent, joyful servants of the Lord, that we would live fruitful lives as people of faith, and in living a fruitful life, prove to be his disciples, his disciples who are the people of grace. How could it be that my bearing fruit glorifies the Father? Do you understand? My bearing fruit is what glorifies the Father, and the solution is that my bearing fruit is conditioned upon Him. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Therefore, the fruitfulness of the branch is to the glory of the vine, is it not? A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, says Jesus, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How often do we make this mistake of thinking (laughs) that once we have been saved, once we have been saved, once we have been connected to God and reconciled to Him and made new, that our working is to be separated from grace. That you get grace to begin, but not grace to continue. Do you, do you, do you, ever, do you ever go off that end of the, of the balance? I begin by grace and I end by works. We don't say it like that because we know it is untrue, but we live like that. We, we believe like that. I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. I'm welcome in the presence of God, even though I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. And I I, I place my faith in him and I become a Christian. Great. And now as a Christian, I sin and I flee from the presence of God, fearing judgment as if grace had run out. I I, I know that there are things in my life which should be present, that, that, (laughs) that the life of faith isn't a small portion of my life. It's the whole thing that I'm, that I'm meant to, serve the Lord with all of my being, that I meant to conduct myself in this world as a living sacrifice, 
Everything belongs to him. My whole life is one of worship. And I see some portion of my life where that is not true. I think I should do better. I should do so much better. I'm going to try harder. You get to pray and ask for help. You forget to submit yourself to the law. We forget that our fruitfulness comes from the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying this to believers. The picture of the Christian life is not one of us (laughs) receiving a bike with training wheels that are on for the first couple of months that then come off and it's all on us now. The relationship that begins with God of gracious dependence on your first day as a believer is now the pattern of the whole of your life. We are the branches. He is the vine. Let's not forget that paradigm. We never grow to become independent of him again. We never turn into little vines that are no longer no longer needing the true vine for nourishment. Jesus and Jesus alone is the true vine and for eternity we will need him. You will not become God. That is a lie. There is one God, only one. But in him, but in him, do you feel the promise? You will be fruitful. Apart from me, You can do nothing. There's a warning, but here's the promise. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Much fruit. Let's come to a conclusion. If it's true that Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and that we are but branches that our fruit-bearing gives glory to the Father, there is an obvious call placed on us. Jesus summarizes it well in verse 9, for example. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. What about verse 4? Abide in me and I in you. Do you feel this again and again? This word comes up. Abide. It's an interesting word in the New Testament, this abide word. It gets translated a few ways, depending on which version of the Bible which you are reading. Remain. Stay. Dwell. Live. Make your home. Abide in me. Live here. Live out of this place. Make this home base. This is, this is ground zero. This is, this is the center. Abide where? In me. This is the most important thing that we need to do as Christians. Do you understand? All other things, all other obediences, all other kinds of holiness, all other forms of fruitfulness that we would hope to see in the Christian life all flow from this one source. Abide in me. Stay here. This is the picture. When you come to believe in Jesus as Savior, you place your faith in him. You say, Lord, it's no longer I who live. It's you who lives in me. That's how we begin. And then the goal is that we would stay right there for the rest of our lives and for the rest of eternity in that place of faith-filled dependence, joyful surrender, eschewing, getting rid of, cutting off independence, 
I am a beneficiary, and I will ever be, of grace. And so remain in me, stay in me, live in me, dwell in me. This is not the description of the beginning, brothers and sisters. This is the, begin- this is the description of the whole of the Christian life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The second we lose sight of abide in me, we lose fruitfulness. This is why the Father is is pruning us, to bring us back to here. This is the goal. This is what Jesus is working in your life and in your faith through these trying circumstances. He is teaching us what it means to abide in Him, to live in Him, to dwell in Him. The most important thing about you, brothers and sisters, the most important thing about you is that you are in Christ. All else comes from there. Feel the, you feel the, t- the tension. The trial is drawing my attention away from God. It's not actually what's happening. The trial is revealing that there is something in me which is away from God. Because if Jesus was experiencing that same trial, he would respond differently. There is something in me which is fruitless because it is trying to exist without the vine. And he is calling us, abide in me. It's not just abide in me. Let's read verse 9 again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That's the invitation from God. These are not the stern words of an angry God seeking to oppress you. This is the tender invitation from your heavenly Father to come and not only experience His love once or twice, but to live in it every waking minute of your day and every resting one as well. Abide in my love. What about verse 11? These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full, complete, lacking nothing. The pruning's part of that. It is necessary. For us to have the fullness of the life of faith, that we would undergo the pruning, which leads us to fruitfulness. That we would remain in Jesus during the trial, that we would cling to him, knowing that he is clinging to us even more strongly. And that we would be transformed and brought to maturity. And that we would have not just joy, but God's own joy in us. If that's what he's doing in me, a trial might be worth it. Discipline might be worthwhile. Maybe I can trust him with this. Let's pray.
Father, I, I freely confess that there is something in me, a part of who I am, which looks at all of the problems in this world, not just the current ones, looks at all of the problems in me and is distressed in a faithless way. I experience uh, anxiety and grief and worry at times in exactly the same way as the unbelieving world where your grace and your love and your providence for me, your child, not even for a moment, figure into my, my understanding of my experience. I fret unfruitfully. I see the pain and I see the grief and I don't see the destination. Lord, over that, there is a distinct lack of hope that a better thing could come. Lord, without you, we despair. But I, Father, we also thank you that that fruitlessness, that faithlessness, does not define those of us who have met you and have been loved by you and have found ourselves in your love. It does not define me, Lord, because your spirit is in me, making a better thing. Because I'm in the vine, and because you are the true vine, the life which comes from you is having its effect. Lord, we are people in process. We are, we are not yet arrived, but having begun. We pray, we ask, and we welcome your pruning. In your good graces to us, Lord, we accept what is coming from your hand. We look for a solution which is not the solution of the unbelieving world either, but the solution of faith. Help us to trust you, to trust in your destination for us and to trust in your method of getting us there. And would we experience your joy even in the middle of the storm? Lord, would we be fruitful people? Would my life give glory to you, my Father, as I bear much fruit? Help me to abide in Jesus. Lord, my worship life can be so cold. I wake up and my, in my, in my mind is so far from you. And, and some mornings it is just such an effort to give you the time of day. Lord, help me to abide in you. Lord, there are decisions to be made. Important things hang on them. Help me to abide in you and to seek your face and to seek your will. as I lay in my bed in the evening. Lord, and I carry all of the, the worries of the day. Would I give them to you prayerfully and abide in you?
Jesus, again and afresh, we welcome you like we did on that first day of the life of faith. We say rule and reign in us. Rescue us from our flaws. Rescue us from our sins. Bring us from barrenness to fruitfulness. We pray all of these things in your name, Jesus, in your name alone, our true vine. Amen.